Let's pray. Father, we're glad that you are with us. And when we worship, that there's just something unique that your spirit comes to be with us. And we, it's like we are entered into your throne room right where we are because of your presence with us. And we're thankful today to just be able to worship and to continue to practice that fourth commandment of remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. God, I thank you for everyone that's here today. And as we look at another uh, lesson from David's life, we pray that it will be something that we can use. I pray that it will be something individuals can use, families can use, this church can use. And, Lord, use it in such a way that it helps us be more like Jesus Christ, to be better leaders, better followers, and to understand uh, just what your will is for our lives individually, as families, and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got a question for you today as we begin. What are some feats that are characteristic? What, what makes us call somebody a hero? You can answer out loud. What are some things saving a life? That's a real good answer right there. Any other thing? What's that? They're brave. They're brave. So to save a life, you kind of, in a lot of situations, you got to be a brave person, don't you? Right? Being a hero. Now, we're, we're talking about in real life. We're not talking about in the Marvel Universe today, right? <laughs> a real life hero. Did any of you see the news this week about the 16-year-old young man in Pascagoula? You know, Pascagoula's where I graduated high school, so it makes me a little proud. You know, a 16-year-old from Pascagoula High School just happened to be riding his bike at 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and three teenage girls had somehow, at 2 a.m. in the morning, driven their car off in the river, in Moss Point, in the Pascagoula River, by the I-10 bridge. There's a little boat ramp there. I don't know how that happened. They don't know how it happened. It's just one of those things that happens at 2 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> right? And this young man, the, the, they had called, you know, emergency, and a police officer had arrived on the scene and had jumped in the water. There was a, 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 a roof window in the car. What do you call those? You know, sunroof, sorry. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't think of what those were called. A sunroof in the car. And they opened it and climbed through it and got on top of the car, right? The car is already like 20 yards out. And I know this area pretty well. The, the, the current's pretty swift right there, if it's normal uh, current that day. And so the police officer had swam out. He's trying to help them. He's to the point he's getting tired. He's not doing much good. And this 16-year-old sees what's going on. He has another friend with him. The 16-year-old doesn't even think about himself for one moment he gets off of his bicycle he put takes his shoes off he throws his phone on the ground and jumps in the water and goes out there he brings in all three girls and the police officer and his buddy gets out and helps a little bit too but y'all new york's time new york times is calling that boy a hero and i agree don't you he's a hero today he's all over the papers he's been on tv shows it's just that 
to save lives and to be brave enough to do that, it means you're willing not to think about yourself anymore, right? Our ultimate example of a hero, Jesus, right? You know, he gave his life for every one of us. He was brave to get on that cross and die for us. But we're going to look at a lot of heroes today. The, the story that we're going to talk about today is kind of a compilation of things. We don't really get a lot of these details in the life of David until after David, at the end of David's life. Whoever wrote First and Second Samuel decided not to tell some of these stories until later on. In, in the context of everything. So there's a lot of picking from like 1 Samuel chapter 5 and then chapter 23. And so I felt like it was good to, to talk about these heroes. Now that the last, the last message that we talked about concerning David was about David becoming king. And now that David's king of Israel and we have, re, we have united those that were followers of Saul with those that were following David that ends up being a split kingdom again later on of Israel and Judah, they are now united under the rule of David. And David is on the throne. But where that throne is going to be has not yet been established. At this time, Jerusalem is controlled by the Jebusites. I believe that's the correct name of those people. You know, you got lots of, of those kinds of folks that were in the area. And so Jerusalem's not yet. And this story's going to tell us a little bit about how David comes to rule Jerusalem and make it the capital of Israel during this time. So our story today, it begins with David and his group of 30 men. I want to talk about his mighty men, David's mighty men. So the way David set things up in his rule is he had 30 men. And these 30 men, there were three that were really important. And then he had one that was kind of the main guy over these 30 men. And so we're going to see an organizational uh, way that David set up the guys that would help him be a leader and help him rule and help him fight battles during this time. So David had this group of 30 men, and they were the core of his fighting force. Let me say another thing about a hero before we go any further. We just don't see this with leaders like we used to in the world. The last real leader this country seen that actually got out on the battlefield and fought. I mean, really fought. I mean, you, you, you saw a little bit of, you know, MacArthur and Patton and guys like that in World War II. They were on location, or Grant in the Civil War and Lee and people like that. Really, the last leader that got on the front line and had bullets shot at him was George Washington in our country. You know what I mean? There's all these lore and legends of how people would shoot about at Washington and just miss, you know, that kind of stuff. That's a whole different level of hero there, right? whole different level of leader now. We don't do those things anymore. But in this day, that kind of stuff was still going on. David fought many of the battles, didn't he? Especially early in his kingship and before he became king. But out of these 30 men, they 
uh, had Joab's brother, who was the main leader. Remember, we talked about one of Joab's little brothers, Asahel. Remember him? How fast could he run? Anybody remember? As fast as a deer. I think I heard somebody say as fast. The Bible says he, fat, he ran as fast as a wild deer. He's the one that got killed chasing after Absalom, remember? And Absalom turns around and stabs him with his spear. This was Joab's smaller brother. This is the middle brother. Joab's the oldest, and Abishai is the middle brother. And he led this group of 30 because he was such a brave warrior. One of the things that the Bible tells us Abishai did is he killed 300 men in a battle one time just with a spear. Just with a spear, killed 300 men. Everybody say Abishai. Abishai. Killed 300 men with a spear. That's pretty impressive, right? That's not easy to do. Defending your back, defending your sides. And a spear, I don't know if y'all have ever tried using a long stick to do things before. It's not the easiest thing in the world to manage. So he was really skilled with a spear. And then all of these 30 fighting men, Abishai's over them. These fighting men were proven warriors. They were skilled. They were courageous. They were brave. But there were three that stood above the 30. There's Abishai that was over the 30, and then there's these other three in the 30 that really stood out because of the things that they did. And they were an inspiration to the entire army anytime they fought. And the Bible gives us just a little bit of some of the things they did that kind of made them heroes when they sacrificed for others and did things and showed bravery uh, for the army of Israel. So... These three, the first one, the Bible tells us, his name is Josheb Beshabeth. Now, y'all wondering why is he looking at this? Because I can't remember these names. <laughs> Repeat after me. Josheb Beshabeth. This guy was one of the three in the 30. And he personally killed 800 soldiers in one battle by himself killed 800 soldiers, Josheb Beshabeth. The a second of these three, his name is Eliezer, and he stood firm when the rest of the army was retreating during a battle. And while the army fell back, the army of Israel fell back, and he turned and he attacked the Philistines, or the Philistines, all by himself. He fought so hard and so long in this battle, all by himself, that his hand stuck to his sword, the Bible says. The others finally came back when they saw that he was winning all by himself. But only to plunder the dead bodies that were left. By the time they got back, he'd already killed them all. Eliezer, all by himself. So we got Josheb, Bashabeth. And we've got Eliezer, and then we have another one, Shema, or Shama. Say Shama. So this third guy, and I like, his, I like this story the best because I think it really relates to this time of year in the south, especially if you're a farmer. So Shama once led a great victory over the Philistines all alone in the middle of a pea patch. Okay. A lentil patch, a pea patch, all by himself in this pea patch. He defeated 
the Philistine army while the rest of the Israelite army was retreating. So all three of these heroes, Josheb Beshebeth, Eliezer, and Shammah, were heroes of the army. Abishai was a hero. He'd killed 300 men all by himself with a spear. So these were the kind of men that were in David's group, his mighty men, these 30 guys. So it tells you one thing as a leader. Surround yourself with, with people that are willing to do things for others rather than themselves and be brave and courageous, right? That's what David did. Before he became king, there was this time where he and his men were hiding. We talked about a lot of that already, and he became thirsty one time, and he said, Oh, I would love some water for the well in Bethlehem. And at that time, Bethlehem was under the control of the Philistines. And those same three men that we just talked about, Josheb Beshebeth, Eliezer, and Shammah, they heard David say how much he wanted water from Bethlehem. And they slipped off from the camp, and they went to Bethlehem, which was controlled by the Philistines. They crept into the city, and they got water from the well in Bethlehem just for David because that's what David wanted. And then they were able to get safely back out of the Philistine area. Some brave boys right there, weren't they? Right in the middle of the enemy army just to get their leader some water he said he wanted, you know? When they brought the water to David, he was shook at what they had done for him. And this is what David said. I won't drink this water. This is precious like the blood of the men who risked their lives to get it. And he stood before the Lord. And rather than David drinking this water that he had desired so much that his men that loved him went and got it, he offered that water as an offering to God. That shows us a little bit about David too, doesn't it? You know, he realized what these men had done for him to the point he didn't even drink the water. He gave it to God. All of David's men remained loyal to him after he had become king and God was with him and established his kingdom over all of Israel. Jerusalem at the time David became king was this walled city on Mount Zion and it was controlled by the Jebusites. So David sent his men, or said to his men, he said, whoever is able to conquer the city will become the commander of my army. Well, Joab, this is when Joab has his moment. And he figured out a way to sneak in to Jerusalem through Inside the walls through these water tunnels that were built into the walls. And so after Israel defeated Jerusalem and took control of Jerusalem, Joab became the commander of David's army. And David renamed the town. He named it the city of David. Many times your Bibles might have maps in the back of it. That, that may say the city of David and it shows the walls of Jerusalem, you know, or the Jerusalem in the time of David, and it shows you where these walls were. The Israelites didn't build these walls. They were built by pagans, and God gave them this city, and then they began uh, to use Jerusalem from that time on as the center of the government of Jerusalem. Now, when the Philistines heard about David becoming king, 
of Israel, they declared war against David and Israel and decided to fight David. And as David heard about this, he asked God, God, should we fight these Philistines? And the Lord said, go and I will give you to them. So David went and their army easily defeated the Philistines. Later, they invaded Israel again, so David asked the Lord again, Should I go and fight them, Lord? And the Lord said, Go, but this time I want you to circle around behind them and flank them. Put your camp in a grove of trees until you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, and then you'll know that I have marched ahead of you. David did exactly what God told him to do, and he defeated the Philistines and totally ran them out of the land. So David obeyed God, and they defeated all of these armies. Now I want to talk about some things that we can learn about David and his mighty men today. A little bit different than the sermons I've done before. Not as much interaction maybe and, and fun. We'll do some of that maybe next week because my favorite character in all the Bible we're going to talk about next week. His name's Mephibosheth, if you want to look ahead. Yeah, so if you have the outline in your bulletin, there's some points that I want us to talk about today. And what this, the reason I think this is important, right now you're in the process as a looking for a man of God to be your pastor. Now I'm not saying every church should set up the way David set up how leadership should go. That's not, that's not the Bible doesn't give us any direct instructions. But there is this great idea, and I've done it as pastor, as a pastor in, in, in my life and other positions. This, is, this, this could be a great business model or any kind of leadership role. It's really smart to surround yourself with good people, amen, right, as a leader. And so that's what David has done. And these are some things we can learn uh, from God's word about how David uses these mighty men to help him not just in battle, but with important decisions and all different kinds of things. And the first thing that we're going to talk about are these mighty men and what their characteristics were. And there's three different things we can learn about them. The first one is that they wanted David to succeed. There's some passages that we're going to look at. I'm going to use this. It's all right. I'm going to use this music stand so I can look in my Bible. This one's found, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. 1 Samuel is the first one, chapter 26. Verses 6 through 8, and this is what it says. David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Joab's brother, Abishai. Remember, we just talked about him. Son of Zeruai. Who will go with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai answers, I'll go with you. And that night David and Abishai came to the troops and Saul was lying there asleep in the inner circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the troops were lying around him. And then Abishai said to David, Today God has handed your enemy over to you. Let me thrust the spear through him into the ground just once. I won't have to strike him twice. And so we see right here 
Abishai wanted David to be king. He wanted David to succeed. He wanted to see David become king. And these are the kind of men David surrounded himself with, these men that loved him so much, that respected him for the decisions that he had made, that they would even kill his enemy so that he could become king. The second thing we learn about these mighty men, they were willing to provide David's desires. 2 Samuel chapter 23, turn there with me, and we'll see an example of these desires. And we read about this one, or, or talked about it in the story. 2 Samuel chapter 23 Verses 15 and 16 says this, David was extremely thirsty and said, If only some, someone would bring me water to drink from the well at the city gate of Bethlehem. So three of the warriors broke through the Philistine camp and drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. They brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord as an offering. And so they were willing to provide anything David wanted. Another, a third thing these mighty men were willing to do, they waged battle under David's direction. Also in chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. After him was Shammah, son of Aji, the Herite, the, the Philistines had assembled in formation where there were a field full of lentils or peas, and the troops fled from the Philistines, but Shammah, Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. They wanted to wage battle for David. They were willing to do anything to help David be successful as a king. Some other things we learn about uh, these mighty men, their role, number one, they were an extension of David's ministry. As David would do things, he would send them out to do things to help take care of the people, to honor them. Think about it as a church might work, you know? This is, this is how things should look in a church. And the New Testament's given us some, some, some offices like a pastor and then the deacons and others and elders and things to help within the church, to serve people in the church, to be an extension of the ministry of the church, and everyone to work together and be on the same page. And that's really important, isn't it? To have everyone unified and working together for a common goal. Not for It ends up benefiting everyone personally, but it's so that the kingdom of God can grow that people grow closer to God, they grow closer to one another, and working together, we're all better, we're all stronger, aren't we, if we do things together as the body of Christ. Another thing that was part of their role, they were to expand the work of David. We were to, they were to expand the work of David. I love going in your little room here, and I see how you've helped out with you know, the cancer walks and things like, I forget what it's called now, but, you know, the things like that. Doing things in your community that expands the ministry of the church so that it's not just stuck in these four walls that are around us right here. But then the community begins to realize those people at Bersheba, you know, they're out doing stuff. They're helping the community. There's something different about those people, you know. 
That's what church is all about. Word gets out when we do things that are good together and help people in the community and give a good name for the Lord and the ministry. You know, we're living in difficult times. There's all, first of all, most news is bad news, right? That's why it's so good to see a, a story like that 16-year-old boy in Pascagoula. You know, that's a good story, right? Most of the news we hear, 90% or more is bad news, bad things happening. Our job as the body of Christ, you know what the word gospel means is? Good news. We're to be giving good news, and there's no better news than that Jesus can take care of your sin. He, for, he can forgive you. He can provide for you. He's there for all of your needs. And so we have good news to spread and tell others about. So these mighty men had some responsibilities as well. Let's look at those real quickly. There's four of these responsibilities that they had. The first one, they were to give counsel to God's anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 24 talks about all these things that they advised David to do. That's smart on David's part. You know, and, uh, as a leader, it's important to ask other people's opinions, to see what other people think. Because one thing every person in this world needs to learn is you don't know everything. Amen? None of us know everything. We need help. And I pray that whoever that man God gives you, someone who's going to listen, you know, and, and you're going to listen to that person, and, and, and everybody's going to work together, and everybody's opinion is heard and, and, and understood and listened to. But also I heard one of my mentors used to say to me, all counsel is valued, but not all counsel is valuable. You know? And that's true too, isn't it? You know? It, it takes some discernment. You know, to see the things that need to be done and when things do not need to be done. A second thing about their responsibility of these mighty men, they were to guard God's anointed. They were to protect David, to watch for him. Boy, some of the stories we've already talked about shows you just how, I mean, reminds me of an old 70s disco song called The Backstabbers, you know. Boy, there was a lot of them in David's day, right? And so these men were there to protect him. There was always somebody trying to assassinate the king or do those kinds of things, and they were important to protect him, to protect God's anointed. The third responsibility these men had, they were to fight battles for David, and they did. And we know later on, in David's uh, reign as king, he gets a little lazy. No longer is David fighting on the front lines anymore. You know? He finds himself doing things he shouldn't be doing and looking at things he shouldn't be looking at. And it gets him in trouble. And so these men, though, even when David wasn't being who he was supposed to be, they were still fighting for him and defending him. And you know what? As, as someone who's been in that role, as a pastor, you have ups and downs. We all do, don't we, in life? We're not as sharp and not on top of our game as we should be 
Maybe not having quiet times with the Lord like we should be, whatever. And man, there's a lot of times those people that surrounded me, I, I appreciate them so much because they covered up a lot of my messes, right? And we need that kind of help sometimes. We also need people when we make messes that will forgive us, right? And they forgave David and got back on, on board with him after he made mistakes. It's like Philip's talking about. Those times when we get away from God, he's not been anywhere when we come back. You know, if God's willing to forgive people, guess what? As Christians, we don't have any other option but to forgive them too, right? Now, hopefully people learn from their mistakes, right? And do a better job next time uh, from getting away from God. But we have to forgive folks as well as they uh, make those mistakes in their life. And then the last thing we learn about their responsibility is they were to remain loyal no matter what. No matter what, they were to remain loyal. And it was difficult. There were lots of factions that came up against David. Not all of them did, but these 30 men, there's never a story in God's word where these 30 mighty men were not loyal to David. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Don't you know there was somebody that didn't like David trying to get in that group and influence somebody in that group? Hey, David's not who you really think he is. We need to get rid of him, you know? Those kind of things start happening, you know, factions building, different things to try to remove someone from their throne. So as you're in this process as a church of seeking a leader, my prayer is that God leads someone to you who's going to use the heroes that are already in these pews today. That's my prayer. And, and, and bring you together and fight battles with you. Now, we're not picking up swords and spears and killing folks. But let me tell you, there's battles that have to do with the souls of this community that are being fought every day. Do you believe that? There's battles happening right now. There's people that are not in a church anywhere in this community right now, and we don't know what they're going through. And they need somebody from Bersheba Church to give them good news. They've got nothing but bad news. No telling how long. They need some good news that God loves them no matter what they've been through. Jesus died on the cross for them and loves them. And in order for us to give good news to this world, we do it together. If we didn't do it together, why would there be church? Right? God instituted church for a reason so we could do this thing together, working together. Otherwise, when you give your heart to Jesus... Go straight to heaven. No need to tell anybody about what good happened to me. Just be hunky-dory. No, that's not how it works. We get the privilege of being in God's army and telling people that good news about him. Let's bow our heads as we prepare for a time of commitment. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your, the stories that are in your word, especially as we look at the entire story of these mighty men that David surrounded himself with. And Lord, I want to lift up this church today. I know as, 
as they're praying about and searching for uh, the person that you would give them to lead them as a pastor, Lord, that you would surround whoever that person ends up being with, with mighty men and women that are loyal, that are good counsel, that will help this church to grow, to help it be a light in this community in such a way that people in this community realize there's something different about worship a church. The people there love, the people there serve, the people there want to do what's best for this community. And Lord, I just wouldn't it be neat to see a leader and the people in this church leading with that leader in such a way that everyone sees you and know that, you know what? God gets the glory for this. God's done something only he can do. Lord, and in our individual lives, let it teach us these stories to be courageous, to be willing to sacrifice to help others, just like this young man in Pascagoula did this week, to be willing to forget ourselves in order to help someone in need. It might not be someone drowning in a river. It might just be something as simple as giving a piece of bread, helping somebody with something real simple, giving an encouraging word to someone that might be hurting right now. Help us to be a light for you. And we love you, Lord. We thank you that we have the privilege of being your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.